Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. We recently wrapped up a very exciting college football season, and as promised during his appearance in episode 10, Hallowed Ground's first two-time guest is Jeremy Swick, historian and curator at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, Georgia. In our first conversation, Jeremy spoke about his background, his role in helping create an exhibit honoring historically black colleges and universities, and his favorite player of all time, Hall of Famer Ron Dane. Today, we'll get into some new topics, including Jeremy's own collection, his travels during bull season, and much more. After my interview with Jeremy, I'll be talking about Champ Bailey during this episode's overtime segment. Stay tuned for information about Georgia's newest College Football Hall of Famer. I hope you enjoy Jeremy and I's conversation. Today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking again with Jeremy Swick, historian and curator at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks for coming back and ready to chat some college football. Now that we're in the offseason a little bit, there was some really um, high-level performances with Georgia winning the national championship, and you were there. You were like in Indianapolis and all of that. So what was that like getting to be at the national championship for the college football playoff with the College Football Hall of Fame? It it was remarkable, to be honest. Um, It's always a great experience being able to travel for those those national activations, if you will. And I think there's something a little extra special with Georgia this year, you know, with the Hall of Fame being located in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, always having that Bulldogs well represented and to finally see a title uh, after what, 41 years is uh, something being from Wisconsin, I can definitely relate to after Milwaukee winning their title in uh, what, 50, 50 years. And so um, it's one of those really exciting moments. And it was just I was appreciative to be around it. For sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you later on about the kind of Georgia relationship and being close to Atlanta with the Hall of Fame there. But what did you guys kind of take to Indianapolis and what was that kind of process of putting that activation together? So what we do is, as I mentioned, a national activation. Uh, We bring a trivia kiosk that lets the fans really kind of become the historian or become the curator and see, see how much trivia they know. We also bring some mannequins for photo opportunities, a lot of premium items to, you know, just give away and really kind of spread the word of the Hall of Fame. One of my favorite parts and really what I bring is I bring artifacts and it's usually about four cases worth of artifacts. I always do two. So one of one team that's competing and one of the other. So this year was Alabama and Georgia. Uh, But over the years, I found the other two cases really end up becoming local schools. Sometimes I swear that gets people more excited than uh, than it did, you know, maybe than just the regular teams, because I've realized with these conventions, a lot of it's local people coming through to check out or what's all at the, uh, you know, the, the fan central, if you will. And for example, in Indianapolis, seeing the Antoine Randall jersey or Drew Brees jersey or some legendary Notre Dame players. That really excites people. And it's always something fun, you know, fun talking. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But as I think back to like what events I've gone to, like fan fests, or I remember when the All-Star game was here for the Royals in 2012 that Major League Baseball hosted a fan fest. And I went to that and it was a lot of Royals specific stuff, even if it wasn't all all-star game, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's cool that you guys tie in the local schools like Purdue and Notre Dame, and then obviously Alabama and Georgia for those, those other championship teams. So that's neat. There were some other travels that you all did too, right? Other activations throughout the the winter. Yes. Yes. So it's a, it's a really interesting kind of time of the year because we at times split up two of us. So half of us will stay in Atlanta and uh, be part of the Peach Bowl. 
And then a few of us, we had four this year, go out to the Goodyear Cotton Bowl um, in, you know, Dallas, Dallas, Texas, or more like Arlington uh, out there in Jerry World. Again, we bring we bring some more artifacts. And again, it's the two teams that are competing. But also, I like to include a lot of Cotton Bowl legends. It kind of fills up cases and guys, people maybe forgot about that. We're in a Cotton Bowl, or, you know, learn something new is kind of always my objective with bringing artifacts uh, and of course, checking out a good game is a, a nice little perk as well. For sure, especially in uh, AT&T Stadium and being in Dallas, I spent a little bit of time there just kind of passing through my own work travel this winter. And it's a really nice city. I like Dallas a lot. So it's cool you guys get to be at the Cotton Bowl and, and do that national activation. Yeah, it's a really interesting experience, especially it's a lot of logistics too. Uh, we send a digital face painting with us that fans can kind of paint paint themselves at the game. but also, it's interesting because, for example, this year the Convo was a playoff game. And so whoever won between Alabama and Cincinnati, I was ready to send that gear from Dallas to Indianapolis to get ready for the national championship hmm. and some stuff home. And um, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but we go out every year and film uh, and I interview the incoming Hall of Fame class. And this year it was out in Las Vegas. And that's always an interesting experience because I think I did probably about 22, 23, 24 interviews in about a day period. Wow. You know, ranging from maybe five to 10 minutes a piece, but uh, it's a real quick turnaround, but it's always really exciting to get a chance to uh, talk, talk with those Hall of Famers. And as you know, we, we create exhibits based on the incoming class. And so it's funny because a lot of times I've been emailing and talking on the phone with the spouses, with the coaches, with the players, with the schools, and to kind of put that name, the face of the name, and, oh, hey, this is Jeremy from the Hall of Fame. I know we've talked like 17 times, you know, via via different contacts. Mind if I interview you real quick? And that's always nice to build that relationship uh, on a professional level, but also with the Hall of Fame as well. For sure. What does that kind of add to the experience, getting to hear those stories face-to-face from the Hall of Famers and then using that in videos or as you put together exhibits later on? What does that kind of add to the experience? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, studying these players, knowing their careers. I always, we always start out as a team kind of, here's the base questions. Here's the questions we want to make sure we ask. But then based off that, if I know a player had an incredible catch, maybe ask him to talk about that or little personal story. I saw Aaron Taylor, who was on the Packers team, who won the Super Bowl in the 90s. And so maybe I slid in a little question asking him, oh, so what was your biggest accomplishment, whether as a collegiate athlete or a professional athlete? And once he figured out I was from Wisconsin, he kind of laughed and told, kind of told the story of what it meant to be a championship team with the Packers. It really is great for social media and for, you know, just different media outlets. We can take those snippets and really cut them into uh, you know, digestible content. As much as I'd love to, uh, you know, have someone sit down and listen to me talk for 45 minutes. I know that's not always the case when we can get, you know, 10, 20, 30 second sound bites. Uh, that always helps, uh, I think, the marketing and the social team as well. Yeah, that's something that one of my colleagues for my job at a fraternity, he was just talking about how Gen Z, their like digital attention span is eight seconds. And that's very short, obviously. So it's like any little snippet like that or a quote from a Hall of Famer or anything digital can be pretty short and younger folks will be attracted to that. So I think that's a, a really good feature of those interviews for sure. And I saw that you guys have a uh, 
greatest moments video series on Instagram. And I was looking through that. And I remember the uh, Vince Young, Reggie Bush kind of matchup in the national championship. And that was the greatest moments piece that I saw. And I remember that game like it was yesterday, even though it was like 15, 16 years ago now. So can you kind of talk about that video series and why you guys like to highlight those events? Absolutely. I think it's one of those things that really kind of becomes the epicenter of college football. Uh, some moments, maybe I think Vince Young, you know, Reggie Bush, that matchup. Uh, I had to say I was probably 12, 13 at the time, but it's one of the most distinctive memories I remember in the game. I think all the hype surrounding it and just finding those moments, it helps with both us sharing our story, but also partnerships as well, making sure our partners actually have that involvement in in our story. So it's not us just slapping, you know, a name on something. It's kind of giving an interesting take from, uh, we do sport turf tough Tuesday, uh, region's greatest moments and, uh, you know, different aspects like that are just really showcasing one, what we have and what we don't always have on display. I always tell people, I'd say 90 to 95% of what we have is back here with me and not on display just because there is no room. We could fill up a, a Congress center, if you will, of uh, memorabilia. And so it's just another avenue to share that story. Yeah, but you can listen to another interview that Jeremy and I did if you look in the archive of Hallow Ground. And that was something you talked about was like you're able to kind of feature artifacts digitally, even if it's not in the actual museum or Hall of Fame space. So you can really display it there. And what are some of those things from this past college football season that kind of resonate with you and were big time artifacts and big draws for the Hall of Fame from this season? Yeah, so we had the Illinois uh, Penn State, that nine overtime game. I was funny because I was at home watching the game with some friends and sent out an email to the uh, SIDs at both schools and, hey, this game's going crazy right now. I would love something from that game. I believe they sent us the receiver. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. They sent his gloves, the game-winning ball, a program, I think a ticket as well. And just one of those, you know, the next day we open on, we're closed on Tuesday and Wednesday. By that Thursday, it was in the Hall of Fame and already on display. It's just kind of keeping up that relevance. Uh, another experience I had, I guess I should mention travel too. I got, to, got a chance to go to Center College out in Kentucky celebrating their 100th anniversary of beating Harvard. Uh, they have the legendary C6H0, which they kind of built their school model around now. Now they're, they used to be uh, once a powerhouse in the South in the early 1920s, 1921 was the year that they beat Harvard. And so I was able to actually travel up to Kentucky and speak on a panel regarding kind of the impact of a game that happened 100 years ago. And brought back some memorabilia from that, brought back a game ball from the game they had the next day, which would be the last at, at their field. And so it's those real-time moments in college football history that I guess you could say almost instant classics or uh, unique, unique aspects. I have some stuff from Georgia on the way. Uh, also Alabama with Bryce Young win the Heisman. That should be here, I would hope, today or tomorrow. And so it's then getting that right out on display and ready to go. Yeah, that's been kind of eye-opening to me as I've done interviews for the podcast is professional teams and then you all working as kind of a overarching kind of umbrella over an entire sport. How do you guys get that artifact from that famous game or that instant classic, like you just said? And it's a simple ask a lot of the time, and it, it takes a little bit of time to get to you all. I remember uh, Brent from the Packers Hall of Fame told me he works with their equipment staff to get like Devontae Adams' 
cleats from a record setting game or something like that. So I think that that's, that's really cool. And you just have to ask for it. And usually most people want their artifacts on display to be seen because they're, they're making history and that's really cool to preserve it and then have some experiences with that as a guest, as a visitor. And then in your role as kind of a curator, as you develop what that exhibit looks like. So I think that's, that's been a really cool part of my end getting to learn from that and getting to see kind of that behind the scenes there and then passing that along to the audience. Oh yeah. I mean, legacy is everything with, I think players, coaches, I was an intern at the pro football hall of fame in 2016 and we had Brett Favre's exhibit right next to uh, Marvin Harrison and Marvin didn't have a whole lot uh, in his exhibit. We kind of showed him, send him a picture. Hey, this is what yours. And you're right next to Brett Favre. You know, the next day we're getting loads and loads. I think we got his cleats from his high school. He, you know, set some crazy track records and, uh, a little bit of everything to kind of get that, you know, experience. And even I've learned with the Hall of Famers uh, that I that I interact with, uh, kind of showing them what, what we're looking for. And, hey, such and such player sent all this. We want to make sure you're well re- represented. And, you know, I think that's kind of that pinnacle of how you want to be remembered. I think another thing is that I don't know if you've realized by now, a lot of people in this space know each other. I think I find very uh, interesting and I never really thought how big and small uh, the sports museum's uh, mm-hmm. world is, if you will. So uh, me and Brent attended the same grad school about 10 years apart. And our professors kind of got us in contact with each other and end up kind of being my gateway to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then, of course, with Brent moving on from the Patriots to the, the Packers, I then got in contact with Brian from the Patriots Hall of Fame. And it's always nice to have those contacts where we help each other out whenever, really whenever we can. Yeah. I love that part of the industry. Like it's very tight knit and it's all around sports, but it's about helping each other and learning from each other. And I think that's, that's really important in any industry, but especially sports heritage and sports museums where it's tight knit and you guys are trying to do the same thing. It's just for a different organization, which is really cool. Walk me through the most recent inductee class of 2022. Cause I think when we last talked in June, you were combining 2020 and 2021, but then has that induction ceremony happened? And then what's kind of the timeline for 2022? I'm not sure on those, those details. Yeah. So the 2022 class was announced in right around the national championship. Uh, we had a few, there was a few leaks, uh, but it was, it, it's all, you know, it's all fun. Really what starts now the process is probably March, April, I'll start reaching out to these uh, newly inducted players and coaches and kind of explain our role with the hall of fame, introduce myself to the hall of famers and kind of start, getting the the ball rolling on uh, requesting artifacts and memorabilia to borrow and put on display. Um, the, the ceremony doesn't really happen in New York or Vegas, wherever they happen until uh, mid-early December. Right now, during the season, it really becomes the, they have their various salutes at the stadiums themselves. The National Football Foundation really handles that, brings out the game ball they get presented, the plaque they get presented. And we start kind of forming that relationship. I like to do it early rather than later, just so they can kind of see what we do and, you know, hopefully send us good and interesting artifacts. Who are some of those inductees that you're most excited to kind of either learn about their career or get some of their artifacts from their career? So I'm really excited about Champ Bailey. Uh, just, you know, being a, being a Georgia guy, that's always going to, you know, it's always interesting. And that, that excites people here at the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah. 
working with the Pro Football fame, I remember they sent some of his memorabilia from because he did an event down here in Georgia at our at our facility. And I'm fortunately one of the few that gets the I'm allowed to handle the bus from Canton uh, whenever whenever they come in. So uh, he's one of those guys I'm pretty excited about to see represented. But really, the whole class, it's just fun to learn. You never you never realize how much you learn about uh, different players and uh, coaches from from those kind of experiences. For sure. That's what I love about Hall of Fame inductions is there's so much that we know about these either star players or maybe kind of unheralded people that are recognized. But then you think, you know, somebody and then you do some more research and the Hall of Fame puts together their research and you just learn even more about your favorite athletes and maybe some coaches that were at a smaller school and didn't get the publicity, but they deserve to be recognized too. And I think that's, that's a really unique part of the college football hall of fame because there's so many levels to it. There's a lot of small schools that have a ton of success year after year, and they deserve the same recognition as uh, Georgia and Alabama and some of these other kind of big time programs too. So what's that kind of like in your role is highlighting small schools versus some of the big name programs that we hear about all the time. So it's interesting in that aspect. I went to a Division three school, and so I've always had, I think, that interest. Uh, maybe not when I when I was at Wisconsin Eau Claire, but sharing those stories of smaller schools growing up in Wisconsin. We just had we had the Whitewaters that played Mount Union in the D three National Championship, the Platteville's, the the Oshkoshes, and all all those various schools. So I've always had that interest. I think in smaller schools, and so when I have these opportunities, I love you know, bringing out like a DePaul and Wabash uh, when I went up to Indianapolis. And I thought, I believe I brought a Rose Holman jersey in their division three, I believe. And someone saw that, that, you know, hey, I attended Rose Holman. That's really cool to see the Hall of Fame bringing those, not just Drew Brees and Antoine Randall, but uh, some of those schools that people maybe, unless you went there, you don't really know a whole lot about them. So sharing those stories is always fun. Yeah, that's really fun for college sports, especially because people either go to a college themselves or they have family ties to a college or that's the college in the town that they grew up in. And so they have some affinity there. And that's what's really special about your all Hall of Fame is that there's so many people from all over the place that come and they get to experience their school and kind of widen their horizons, too, with the broad scope of college football. So I think that's one of my favorite parts of your Hall of Fame, for sure. I mean, one of the things I love about it when you walk in, if you're school has currently has football you see a helmet wall with over 775 schools i believe there's 820 helmets in total ranging d1 alabamas to the naia schools that uh maybe recently brought football back or started football and to see those people who attended those schools to kind of start scrolling through okay i i found this george oh i didn't know they were going to have such and such school and to see it light up in the in the helmet wall at the end of the day is pretty pretty exciting I like how the Hall of Fame also has talked about diversity and inclusion, and we talked about that a lot last time with the HBCU exhibits and a lot of those other things that are highlighting those stories that deserve recognition and need to be told. And I was looking on the Hall's Instagram, and there seemed to be a film screening, the film Through the Banks of the Red Cedar, and this is something I don't know about at all. So could you kind of share with our listeners that film and the film screening that happened at the Hall of Fame? Yeah, of course. So the producer, Maya Washington, uh, who's been amazing to work with the hall, work with us, work at the hall, her, her dad, Gene Washington, played at Michigan State in the in the mid 60s. And uh, back back during that time period, Michigan State was kind of considered the Underground Railroad of of college football because 
their coach realized that all these players in the South were untapped talent. They weren't able to really compete in at Southern schools. And so Michigan State was one of those first schools that started bringing uh, a lot of African-American athletes up. And uh, this, this documentary, and now, now it's a book uh, written by Maya Washington, kind of details not only her father's journey, but her journey with her father and kind of learning about his football career. Because I think a lot of people don't think about their, their parents before they were born that kind of their life, what their life was like. And I remember Maya mentioned that she, she wasn't, I don't believe born when his whole collegiate career and his years with the 49ers and uh, the Vikings, it was all over. So kind of, she went back through her memoir and kind of looked at those, that, that story, if you will. Yeah, that's definitely a story I need to check out myself. And I'll link to that in the uh, show notes for the episode, for sure, if people want to learn more about Maya's story. And I love that family tie to college football and with her father. And I think that's really a powerful story for sure in the uh, video and the book form too. So that's, that's really neat. Thanks for sharing that. Oh no, definitely. And it's been great. Last year, uh, we did a Not Your Average Hero uh, campaign during Black History Month, and through our connections, through our great relationship with Maya, we, and of course, Mr. Washington, I was able to interview him and kind of hear his story firsthand. So it was really interesting to hear both her experience, her in the film, and then uh, the book as well, but also his experience and kind of what what that looked like uh, through his lens as well. That's that face-to-face connection that we were talking about earlier and having those interviews and learning those stories from the people that live that. That's so impactful. And that's what I enjoy so much about museums in general is like you get to that face-to-face connection, but then you're the actual person that is doing the face-to-face interview. And I think that's just really special for sure. What is the impact of you kind of talking and spreading the word about the College Football Hall of Fame? I know you're on on the Paul Feinbaum show on ESPN or SEC Network and just getting to talk about the hall down in Atlanta. What has that been like to kind of spread the word about what you all do? It's, it's been a great experience. I'm very thankful for just being in, I guess you could say an ambassador to the Hall of Fame and uh, talking about that, just our rich history and what's there all to do here at the Hall of Fame how interactive it is. And it's not, it's not your typical museum. Like you might, might imagine. I always like to share from, you know, everyone from a rookie level of understanding college football to people who know more than me and Paul Feinbaum combined, uh, find value and interest in attending and coming to the hall of fame from young, young, young to older. Uh, I have people that spend, could spend all weekend there and some do. They get here at 10 a.m. and leave at 5 p.m. because they, they want to read every little bit of history, every little fact and figure we have. But there's also people who just want to engage and interact, throw some passes, uh, kick a field goal on our 45-yard indoor field goal. And so just having that experience to really share how, how special this game and the history of the game is, is uh, something that's been a remarkable experience. For sure, no doubt. I uh, also wanted to ask you a little bit about your personal kind of collection because I've we follow each other on Instagram and LinkedIn and I've noticed you collect cards and you collect bobbleheads and I'm a big bobblehead collector too always have been especially with Royals bobbleheads and I'm sure you being a curator and historian and just learning about some of those things really kind of impacts your own personal collection too so what has that been like over the past few years or maybe it goes back to all the way when you were a kid so what's what's that been like? That's excellent. Uh, I have a good friend, Dakota. She calls me a collector's collector. 
um, I, I started, you know, at a young age going to Brewer games and they're kind of the, the hub for, uh, you know, stadium giveaways that they hand out to fans at, at games. And I always remember as even as a kid, I had that collector in me where let's say me and my sister both go to the game. I'll let her open her bobblehead and kind of look at it, play with it. I know what it looks like. All right, cool. I will wait till I get home to put it on display or kind of, you know, make my own little mini museum, if you will. But growing up, it was always, it was always been bobbleheads um, and sports cards uh, really as well. It's kind of one of those things. I know people say you kind of grow out of it, but I just uh, never really got around to that. And it was, it's always been fun. I remember as a young kid uh, growing up in the nineties, uh, one of my cousins who unfortunately passed, she had a huge collection of uh, sports cards. They were nineties, maybe not the highest value, but I remember as a real young kid, that was kind of the one thing she could do in, in her hospital bed. Um, it's kind of sort and, you know, just find ways to pass the time. I think of ways like playing solitaire when you, you want something to do. And I remember that was something that was passed on to me, the, her card collection. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I, I don't think about, I didn't think about that a whole lot, but kind of just keeping that. And, you know, as a kid, I just kept going and now I'm a big kid with, uh, that disposable income that makes it even uh, even more fun, but it is interesting with what I do now, um, just kind of the way I start have started to collect. So, for example, I collect vintage football cards pre 1950s. So I have cards, you know, dating back to the the 30s, the 40s. You know, I recently completed a 1951 set. My plan is to sell it in 2051 and see just what what wherever I'm at in life and kind of what that brings, but. Uh, the problem with uh, being a collector, I, I like to keep what I collect. So I always get uh, you know real excited when I find something new and I claim I'm going to sell it. And then maybe I do, maybe I don't. But uh, I think it really goes back to, I remember distinctly, I had one of those Sports Illustrated for Kids magazines and it, had, it, was, it was 2004 or so, maybe 2007. It, was, it had Michael Vick on the cover. Uh, so probably 2004. And I remember reading every stat, looking all that up trying to see what cards I had from those different players. And uh, it kind of created that whole appreciation uh, for the game. But uh, as you know, we talked in the last podcast, social justice and kind of trailblazers like that, it also really hit my radar as a kid. Even as a kid, I recently uh, picked up a rookie Kenny Washington card. Um, he was one of the first African-Americans to sign a pro contract after World War II. And I have friends that look at me like, how do you know that? I'm like, well, one, my job, but two, I find it really interesting that that's another tangible way to kind of be part of, of history, if you will. Yeah, it's all a way to honor somebody's legacy. And that's a big part of what you all do at the College Football Hall of Fame. But then we kind of feel that personal connection as a collector of a card or of somebody's bobblehead. It's like, I feel a connection to this guy, even though he's retired or if he's still active, it's, it's just really neat. And I also have the same problem of like not knowing where to put stuff because I have a lot of stuff in my collection. And so it's like, what do we do with this? Or how do I have my own kind of space for it, for it all? But that's something you just have to figure out. And you kind of have that, at uh, at home maybe but then you have it also at, at work too which is probably even more special oh yeah it spills over at home it's at work and uh, one of the things i've learned over the last few years living in atlanta being from wisconsin it's an interesting connection to home if you will my my house as if you've seen in pictures that it's a it might be a little bit of a packers and uh milwaukee sports uh, shrine if you will 
Yeah. Those, you know, something fun to talk about. And, you know, people always love the fact that, for example, people from Wisconsin Packers fans, a lot of bought stock in the team. Once again, it's always interesting with that is like it's $350 dead stock, but everyone knows that. And it's not like a, it's not something sneaky, but it's, you know, just a fun way for, I think, fans all over the country, all over the world to stay connected, if you will, to, to their team and kind of to their hometown, if you will. I love that kind of tie in with people's hometowns and, that's how a lot of people's fandom starts is, oh, I'm a, a Milwaukee Bucks fan because I'm from Milwaukee and they were the game on TV or at the arena and then you're a fan for life. And it's same for me with the Royals and Chiefs being from Kansas City too. So that's that's going to stick with me forever. So is there a story you would want to share, Jeremy, as we wrap up about the museum's impact? Maybe there was an event this fall or somebody came to one of those activations and just had a really neat connection that you would want to share? Absolutely. So this was last summer. We had an exhibit on blood, sweat, and tears talking about the trailblazers of college football and just kind of various stories that we found interesting, you know, remarkable throughout the history of college football, whether they were big institutions or smaller institutions such as Nickel State. But there was one, his name was Mr. Reed. He played football at Ole Miss um, and he was here talking to the, uh, kind of sharing his experience and this guy walked up, probably mid-40s, a white gentleman kind of came up and you could tell he was starstruck. And he, he talked to him and told him that he grew up in Mississippi and this, this guy was his hero. And just to see that emotional connection with a player like that, it was just something that was really, really special to experience. We have, uh, we have a, a legend in his own right at the Hall of Fame, uh, Mr. Terry LeCount, who played football. He was uh, only second African-American at Florida. And he actually ended up playing three different positions while at Florida and had some time in the NFL as well. And he's here every day uh, when like museum is open, you know, just sharing his story. And, you know, it's a, he's, he's the highlight, I think of the hall of fame sometimes uh, to have that, that living, breathing history while walking around us. That's great that he's still active and working at the Hall of Fame and getting to share his story and, and his legacy with other visitors and guests and, and you all as colleagues. I think that's that's really neat. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. This has been a great conversation. And would you just want to share where people can find the Hall of Fame, whether in Atlanta or online? Yeah, you can find us downtown Atlanta, right across from Centennial Olympic Park. And CFBHall.com is our website. And then at CFB Hall on most of our socials as well. Sweet. I will link to those in the show notes and I really need to make it down to Atlanta and check out the college football hall of fame myself. And hopefully you all in the audience really learned a lot from Jeremy. And I really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really fun to have you come on again to hallowed ground and just thank you so much for what you do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great talking. Thanks Jeremy. As Jeremy mentioned, the national football foundation oversees the voting elections and inductions of each college football hall of fame class. The 2022 class of 18 players and three coaches will be inducted in a ceremony this December. Champ Bailey, one of those inductees, is the focus of this episode's overtime segment. And as Jeremy said, there's a special connection between this Georgia Bulldog and the Atlanta-based Hall of Fame. Roland Champ Bailey was born June 22, 1978 in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He was given the nickname Champ by his mother, and he lived up to it, excelling in football, basketball, and track at Charlton County High School in Folkston, Georgia. From there, Champ became a Georgia Bulldog and made an immediate impact, making the SEC All-Freshman team in 1996. As a sophomore, 
Champ was named first-team All-SEC and began playing on both sides of the ball, catching 12 passes as a wide receiver. His 1998 junior season is one for the ages. Champ was named first-team All-SEC, a consensus first-team All-American, and he was the winner of the Bronco Nagurski Award, the top defensive player in Division I college football. Playing over 1,000 combined snaps on offense, defense, and as a kick and punt returner that season, he had three interceptions while also contributing as a wide receiver, with 744 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Champ was a special NFL player, that's for sure, but his versatility in college was unmatched. That year, he earned Heisman Trophy votes and was the only defensive player to finish in the top 10 of voting. Plus, he helped the Bulldogs win the Peach Bowl. Something fun I learned while researching is Champ Bailey shared a secondary at Georgia with current Georgia head coach Kirby Smart. Plus, he was also teammates with Heinz Ward, the former Super Bowl MVP with the Steelers. Kirby had five interceptions in 1998, two more than Champ did. Champ Bailey was also on the Georgia track team and set a school record in the indoor long jump. After his junior season, Champ was drafted 7th overall in the first round of the 1999 NFL Draft by Washington. He spent five seasons there before being traded to the Denver Broncos, where he spent the rest of his career before retiring in 2014. Champ was an excellent lockdown cornerback, the best of his era. He was named to 12 Pro Bowls, 5 All-Pro teams, the 2000's All-Decade team, and was named a first ballot Pro Football Hall of Famer in 2019. I'll include more information about Champ's career in this episode's show notes. What a legendary football career. I'm glad he'll be honored for his excellence at Georgia as a member of the newest College Football Hall of Fame class. You can find the College Football Hall of Fame online at cfbhall.com or in Atlanta, Georgia, right across from Centennial Olympic Park. Look in this episode's show notes for the Hall of Fame's website and social media pages, plus a link to Jeremy's first appearance. Thanks to Jeremy for coming back on the pod. I hope you enjoyed episode 19 of Hallowed Ground the Sports Museum Podcast. Tell your friends about the pod. We have more exciting episodes coming up soon. Thanks in advance. I'll see you next time, sports fans.